we're right at the bottom of the page. We're at 46B, right at the bottom of the page, the uh, third to last word on the line. Eisvei, Gemara asks a question. Lechem yeah. haponim, right? The lechem haponim, which is the bread that they used to make for the uh, for the shulchan, right? The, the 12 breads that they would have on the special table in the Beis HaMikdash. And well, what happened is we learned in Brachas, uh, I'm sorry, in Shabbos, we learned the idea that this bread was baked and it would stay fresh from one week all the way to the next week. It was a miracle, right? So that bread that they baked and put on the table in the Beis HaMikdash. Nechel letisha asrei, I'm sorry, letisha la'asara ula'achad asar. It can be eaten for up to nine days, up to 10 days, and sometimes even up to 11 days. Now, how did it work? Well, what happened is it was baked on Friday. Then they would put it on the shulchan on Shabbos, right? And then the next Shabbos is when they would take it off the old bread and eat it at that point. And it was still as fresh as if it had started and been baked on that very day. The Gemara tells us that was a famous, it was a miracle. And, you know, people came and said, what are you crazy? You're baking, you're eating old bread when you're trying to honor God. You eat old bread. That's how you honor him. And they said, actually, this is the greatest miracle of all because this old bread is just as fresh as on the first day that we put the bread down. Now, we could be eaten up to nine, up to 11 days and not less than nine. Not less and not more. Ketzad, what's the, how does this work out? Kedarka Latisha. On a typical week, you'll be eaten on the ninth day after it was baked. Nefaba Erev Shabbos, it was baked on Erev Shabbos, Nechalba Shabbos Latisha. And it was eaten on the next Shabbos, which is a total of nine days if you include the day in which it was baked. Chal Yom Tov for Erev Shabbos. Let's say Yom Tov fell out on Erev Shabbos. Are you allowed to bake on Erev Shabbos if it is Yom Tov, right? So what the Gemara right now is suggesting is perhaps you're not allowed to. Why? Didn't we just get finished saying yesterday that you are allowed to bake on, Shab- on Yom Tov for Shabbos because we make an Erev Tavshilin? That's true only when you're baking for the immediate Shabbos afterwards. If you're baking for a time period in which you're going to have weekdays in between, then in theory it would not be permitted to bake on, it would not be permitted to bake on the on the yumpet. So you would have to bake the day before yumpet. Okay. So that ends up being on Thursday. Nachal is Shabbos last hour. It ends up being ten days after the first day in which it was baked, which is on Shabbos. Now, obviously, there's no such thing as having two days of yumpet in the Beis Hamikdash other than the two-day yumpet of Rosh Hashanah. So let's say the two-day Yom Tov Rosh Hashanah falls out on Thursday, Friday. Can you bake it on the first day of Rosh Hashanah? No. Can you bake it on the second day? No. So what do you have to do? You have to bake it on Wednesday. How many days total will that end up being by the time you end up eating it on Shabbos? Nechel Shabbos Lechadas. Or you'll eat it on Shabbos, which will be 11 days later. The baking of the spread is not going to push off Shabbos, and it's not going to push off Yom Tov, right? In theory, it could have even pushed off Shabbos, because we see that in the Beis HaMikdash, there were certain processes that we did even on Shabbos. However, the baking of the bread is not one of them. The Gemara asks the obvious question. If we say that the Tzarechim of Shabbos, the necessities of Shabbos can actually be baked on Yom Tif, and certainly if you made your Erev Tavshilin, right, then why can't you bake it on Erev Yom Tif? I'm sorry, why can't you bake it on Yom Tif that was Erev Shabbos? And it'll end up being baked exactly nine days before, as usual. We should never have to go to a 10-day or 11-day period. For a shvos, for a rabbinic, a, a rabbinic prohibition, because the entire idea of baking on Shabbos for Yom Tov is only forbidden on a rabbinic level in the first place, even without an ear of Tavshilin. They only permitted you to do this, however, when it is going to be a 
purpose that will be met in the immediate future, not a purpose that will be met in the far off distance. So if you're talking about Begin and Yomtev for Shabbos, that would be the next day. That's permitted, as we know. If you're talking about Begin and for Shabbos, that's the nine days, that's not According to Rabbi it says in the name of Rabbi Shimon, the son of the Skan Kayan, the assistant to the head Kayan Gadol. Who says that indeed it, you are allowed to bake this Lechem Apanim on Yamtif, you're just not allowed to bake it on the fast day. What is the fast day? Right? Fast day is Yom Kippur. So it pushes off any Yamtif other than Yom Kippur. Why can't it be baked on Yamtif, according to him? So, this is the Machlikis. One of them believes that we only permitted you to push it off and to bake on Yom Tif for Shabbos when it's going to be for the overriding of a rabbinic commandment in the immediate future, but not when it's going to be for an overriding of a rabbinic commandment in the far off distance. What's the Machlikis? Machlikis says, do we say we are even permitted to bake on Yom Tif for Shabbos that's in the far off distance? If you say yes, then you're permitted to bake on any Yom Tif, excluding Yom Kippur. Moshev Rav Mari, Mari asks the question. Not less than two days after baking, and not more, and not more than, um, and not more than three days after baking. But what does this mean? Ketzat nefes erev Yom Tif. Let's say it was baked on erev Yom Tif. Nechalos the Yom Tif lishnayim. And they're eaten on Yom Tif, which is the second day, right? This, the, the second day after it was baked. Chal Yom Tif li'es achar Shabbos. Let's say Yom Tif falls out after Shabbos. Nechal is the Yom Tif l'shleisha. Then you're going to be eaten on Yom Tif, which is the third day if you count the day which is baked, which is Friday. V'she'ene de'cha le'es Shabbos le'es Yom Tif. It does not push off Shabbos or Yom Tif. But if we would say, Zaruchay Shabbos nasim b'yom Tif. If we would say you are allowed to do the necessities for Shabbos even on Yom Tif. Ashtad the Shabbos b'yom Tif shari. If even Shabbos is going to be the, the, you're allowed to prepare for Shabbos on Yom Tif, the Yom Tif be Yom Tif mibai, then you're certainly allowed to prepare on Yom Tif for Yom Tif itself. So why are you not allowed to prepare the Lechem HaPanam on Yom Tif for the one that would be in on Yom Tif? Shani Hasim, it's different over there. Um, why is it different? Damar Kra, because the Pasuk says, Lechem, Lechem Veloi Ligvaya. You're only allowed to bake things for the sake of Yom Tif, right? Or even on Yom Tif for Shabbos. If it is for you, it has to be lachem for you. But if you're baking it for the sake of Hashem, that's not doesn't fit into the category of things that are permitted. In other words, the oichel nefesh, the things that you are allowed to do on Yom Tif are only things that are for your own necessities, right? For your own benefits, not for mitzvah benefits and not for Hashem benefits. So according to Rishon Gamliel, the said the name of Hashem and the son of the Skan. That does push off Yom Tif. Then what are you going to say? He holds like Abishal, the Amar, who says, Lachem. The Pasuk says, Lachem. Indeed, it does. Lachem, It's telling you that you're only allowed to bake or to cook on Yom Tif for the sake of yourself, but not for non Jews, right? And this is why we sometimes get into problems. You're allowed to have a non Jew over at your house at a Shabbos table. You're not, however, allowed to have a non Jew over at a meal on Yom Tif. Right, uh, and even when they are engaged in the process of converting, it is still problematic. And the reason is because there is a concern that perhaps you'll end up cooking or baking for a non-Jew on Yom Tif. and you're not allowed to cook or bake for a non-Jew on Yom Tif. You're only allowed to cook or bake for a non for a Jew on Yom Tif. Only that pushes off the iser of cooking on Yom Tif. Shalach le'Rav Chizda 
there, there are ways around it, by the way. If anybody has, you know, anybody is planning on having um, non-Jews over for a Yom meal, there are ways around it. But it, it, is a, it is a legitimate problem. So you definitely should speak to a competent rabbinic authority before you choose to do that and figure out a way that it could work. Shalach Leib of Chizda le Rabba. Chizda asks Rabba. He sent, I'm sorry, he sent the question to him. Biyad Rav Acha bar Rav Huna. In the hands of Rav Acha, who is the son of Rav Huna. Mi Amrinan Hayal. Indeed, do we say Hayal? Do we say this principle that we've been working with yesterday, which is that if you have something that you can take an action that would render something permitted, even prior to doing so, it's already rendered permitted. Do we say this concept? Ba'atanan. We learned in a Mishnah. Yesh Chayrish Talam Achad. It is possible to plow one row in a field and to be liable for eight different lavin at the same time. Let's work this out. Ready? If you plow with a yoke that is hooked up to a, an axe and a donkey, what violation is that? That's klayim, right? That's, that's having two different species plowing together. And these animals were consecrated. They were set aside for the temple, right? Not to be, obviously, you're not planning to bring in a chamar as an offering, but it is set aside for the purposes of the treasure, of the temple treasury, and now you're, you're making use of it. That's also a violation. And what were they planning on planting in this in this chayrish? Uh, what are they doing? They're planting klayim in a vineyard, right? So klayim bekarim is uh, forbidden on a Torah level. That's ready for Ushvias, and it's also during Shemitah, you're not allowed to. Biyamtuf, and it's Yamtuf. Kayin, and he's a Kayin, and he's a Nazir also, Bin Nazir, a Besatoma. And he's standing in the Besatoma. What's the Besatoma? The Besatoma is in a place which is Tame. Okay, so there's eight different violations. The Amin and Hayal. But if we would say Hayal, and what does Hayal mean? Hayal means that since you could have done a certain action, we can consider it halakhically as if you had done it already previously. Then we should not have eight different violations. We should only have seven. What are they? Fascinating idea. We should say, what do you? What is one of the things for which you are liable for? For plowing a field on Yomtif. One second. Maybe I'm plowing the field. Yes, that's true. But maybe what I'm doing is I'm planning on gathering the dirt and using it for the special mitzvah of kisoy hadam. What's kisoy dam tzipor? Right. The, if you've ever gone to Kaparas in Berkeley, right? I don't know if they do it on the spot, but in, when I was growing up, when we went to Kaparas, as soon as you finished doing Kaparas with your bird, you would go over to the Shaykhit, and the Shaykhit would quickly do, shoop, quickly do the Shechita, and then they'd stick the bird's head into like a special funnel area, and the blood is squirting out onto the ground. And what you do is you then take some sawdust, something which comes from the ground, sawdust dirt, and you fulfill a mitzvah deraisa of covering the blood of certain types of animals, right? Only certain animals are, are going to be are going to be subject to this mitzvah of kisei hadam. However, in theory, you might have shechted a bird on yamtiv, and therefore you could shech the bird on yamtiv. Certainly, right? Now, today we don't do this anymore because today we have um, uh, refrigerators and freezers, so we don't have as much of a necessity to actually shech on yamtiv. The freshness is not as much of a consideration. It's important to know, by the way, you're really only supposed to be cooking or baking in yamtiv something that you could not have done before yamtiv that would have tasted just as good. If you could have done it before Yom Tif, it would have tasted just as good. You shouldn't do it on Yom Tif, which is why rarely will you see someone baking like challah or bread on Yom Tif, okay? Anyway, so here's the thing. So technically, you could have plowed the dirt, and then you could use this dirt for covering over this bird that you shafted. And still we find that you, your violation of eight laven, including this lav of plowing. You shouldn't be in violation of plowing. You could have ended up using that dirt if you wanted to. Amr of Papa Bar Shmuel, Ba'avandam Mikorzulais. So Reb... 
the Papa Bar Shmuel says we're talking about a very specific case where the this dirt is like these pebbles. It's not like the kind of dirt that you're able to use for Kisei Hadam for covering over the blood. Not the right kind of dirt. The Gemara says one second, but you could take these pebbles and you could crush them. And after you crush them, indeed, you could use them for for uh, for covering the blood for Kisei Hadam. One second. Are you allowed to crush stones on Yom Tif? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah, technically you could. You know how you could crush stones on Yom Tif? You could do it in a backhanded way, right? Why is that? Because in general, what do we say? We say that you're not allowed to crush things, uh, you know, the, the, the Isser of Teichin, right? Of crushing. You're not allowed to grind things, things that grew from the ground. However, when you can do it in a backhanded way, it's not going to be the lav de arisa. So we should say this is not something that's going to be a violation of a Torah level violation for plowing. Because indeed, you could have taken these stones and crushed them and used them for Kisei Adam. If we subscribe to the principle of Pai'il, that since you could do something that's as if you already did, you should not be in violation of the eighth prohibition. My answer is but Tsunma. This is Tsunma. It's not just pebbles. It's Tsunma. It's some sort of, you know, I don't know, very hard ground and, and there's no way to, to crush it. Tsunma barisria, one second, that's a silly point. If it's Tsunma, there's no such thing as plowing it for the purposes of sowing seeds. And if you don't plow with the purposes of sowing seeds, you're also not in violation of a prohibition on, on uh, Shabbos or Yom Tif, right? The, the violation of sowing, uh, I'm sorry, of plowing the ground is only extant to the extent that you're going to be able to actually put uh, seeds into the ground. It's part of the process of Zriya, of planting. Oh, no, I'll tell you the answer. The answer is like this. It has a layer of rock, and you certainly cannot crush those rocks. And you certainly cannot plant in those rocks. What you're going to do is you're going to take your plow, and you're going to turn over the rock, and you, what do you find underneath it? Nice, delicious, fresh, loamy soil. And then that's what you're going to be planting your seeds in. The Gemara then says, one second, that's, that's not going to solve the problem. Then you certainly should not be in violation of a prohibition for plowing. Why? Well, then you should actually be able to use your offer to Yichuach for your kisei adam, for your covering the blood. So what are you talking about? We're talking about over here is tina. Tina is some sort of a, you know, um, like a, a silty, like not silty, but like a clay, right? A very thick type of uh, clay earth, which indeed you cannot use for kisei adam. It doesn't satisfy the requirement of covering the blood. Tina bars and can you, can you plant in, in, uh, in tina, in clay, right? You know, before you do any sort of, you know, modern day, uh, you know, chemical adjustments, right? You can't plant in that. Our answers, misunta. We're talking about where it's a, some sort of like a, it's a, it's not it's not clay. It's some sort of ground that is not the proper type of ground for. It's maybe muddy or something. It's not proper for um for you say it down, but it is proper for plants. question. Right? If someone cooks the gira nasha, right, the displaced sinew in milk on yamtif, right? We're, we're talking about someone, he's a bad man, right? So like a chamesh, he's going to get five different malkuses for this action, right? First of all, he's getting malkus for cooking a gid on yamtif. What? What's the malkus? You're allowed to cook on yamtif. Yeah, you're allowed to cook on yamtif, but only something that you're allowed to eat on yamtif. You're not allowed to eat the gid. So if you cooked the gid on yamtif, that itself is already a violation of cooking on yamtif. But like a mishum and you're going to get malchus for eating the the git itself, right? The like a mishum avashal you're going to get malchus for eating meat and milk together. But like a mishum oichal basvachal, you're going to get malchus for eating meat and milk which was cooked together. But like a mishum avara, and you're going to get malchus for starting the fire. But if you would subscribe to the principle of hayal, that if it's something that you are able to do and able to use in theory, then it's as if you already did. Then why should you get malchus for having started the fire? You should not get malchus for starting the fire. Because you could actually use the fire for any of your own necessary needs that you are allowed to use it for.
So if you say hoyl, and something which I could have done is as if I did it, well, I started the fire. I could have used it for permissible needs. So maybe it's as if I already did it, and then I would be okay. Amalei says to him, yeah, indeed, you're right. You can't say that the five are including the fire. Not including the fire. He didn't start. I mean, not he did start the fire. But it's not including the fire because the fire he could have used for his own purposes. So what is it for? The fifth one is that he was using the Gedanasha of an Avela, of an animal that died without Shkita. But Tani Rebchia says, Rebchia says that you get two Malkuses for the eating of it and three Malkuses for the cooking of it. Right? should be the opposite. If it's get a nasha of an avela, you should be liable for get a nasha in general. Get a nasha of an avela. Number two, you're not allowed to eat an avela food, animal that was shechted properly. And number three, bas of So the three lavin should be three lavin of eating, not three lavin of cooking. You have to take out havara and stick in instead that the wood that you used to start your fire was wood that came from muktza, right? There was wood that was that you were not permitted to use on yam. Yeah. right? So the Gemara asks the obvious question. We learned the entire Shabbos, right? And the entire Erevin. And not once did we get a hint that Muktza is a Torah prohibition. We've always been saying it's a rabbinic prohibition. Perhaps going all the way back to Shlomo Malach, but it's not a Torah prohibition. Amarle um, says, yeah, indeed it is. In Dechsev, it says, and we on the sixth day, and they will prepare that which they bring in. The implication is they can only prepare that which had already been brought in beforehand, right? They can only use the things on Shabbos that were already prepared beforehand. Why? Because otherwise it's a Muktza issue. Now, that's true, you can say a, a theoretical prohibition, but we know that to say that there's an actual law in the Torah, it has to say explicitly for which you're going to get malchus, you're going to get lashes for, in violation of this action. It's only going to be true when there's a specific place in the Torah that says, do not do this. Where does it say, do not do this? You're, you're implying from a positive action what is forbidden. Where does you say explicitly you cannot do this? It says you shall not do any work. Not to any work is including Mukta as well. Amalei, so we said back to him, but you're the one who taught us. You yourself said over, you asked for Chizda. And others say that you asked for Vuna. I'm sorry, another version was that you said, I asked for Vuna. If someone brings a set, a lamb in from the Afar, from outside of town, the Shachatu, and he shachts it as a carbon Tamid, and then you told us that. What happened? What's the halacha? Allah set veloi ha bechar. It says a se and not a bechar, right? It can be a se but not a firstborn, okay? Achas veloi maaser. Only one animal, but one animal and not the one that is taken from the miser. In other words, the one tenth of your animals that you have to give us a tithe. Min hatzain veloi ha pelgas. From the tzain, from the sheep, but not from the palgas. What's a palgas? A palgas is like this. It, it, up until one year, 12 months of age, it is called a lamb. After 13 months, it is now called a ram, right? And different categories of carbonus will require different types of animals. But between 12 and 13 months, it is called a palgas, and it's neither here nor there. It's a tweener. Min ha-masayim. It says in the Torah that you should take um, from the... This pasuk is in Yecheskel, and it says that you should take one... One uh, lamb from your flock, right from the Messiah, from the 200. From the 200, which are left over in the pit. From here, we learned that Arla. Arla is the produce of the first three years of the tree. And we said many times that you are forbidden to benefit from that produce. So we see from here, though, that let's say you have some Arla, right? And it's forbidden to benefit from. But let's say that Arla is Bakdel. 
I'm sorry, not is batal. At what number of out being outnumbered by permitted food will the Arla become nullified and permitted to benefit from? At one two hundred. Mi mashke Yisrael from the fields, the wells that are coming of Yisrael. Minham mutterly Yisrael only from that which is permitted to Yisrael. Mi from here we say From here we say you cannot bring the nesachin, the the uh, the libations, right? The wine libations and the water libations from tevel from things that have not yet been tithed, right? Because if it's not yet tied, it's not permitted to a Jew. So I might have thought to say you can't bring it from Mukta either. Therefore it says, Just like Tevel, just like untied produce, there is an inherent issue with the produce. And that is why it is forbidden to bring it for the Mizbeach. So to anything else that it is an inherently driven prohibition is similar that you're not allowed to bring it uh, for the Mizbeach. However, Mukta is excluded. Why? The prohibition of handling mukta is not a specific to the item. It's not inherent to the item. It is relevant to a Shabbos question. It is a specific thing that prohibits it to be used. But if you said that Isr Mukta is forbidden on a Torah level, if you said that Isr Mukta is on a Torah level, what difference does it make if it's an inherent prohibition? Or an external prohibition. Either way, it is a prohibition, and you should not be able to bring this as a carbon. And also, so we, we said that the only time that you can say that if you do different acts, you're going to be liable for different carbonas is only true when you're doing different acts on Shabbos. When you did different acts on Yamtif, you should not be liable for different carbonas that you did, right? So therefore, you violated Yamtif in this act. You're violating Yamtif by cooking. You're violating Yamtif by cooking food that is not able to be used on Yamtif, right? You're violating Yamtif by, use, by using Mukta, right? Those are not different types of Lavin for which you should be liable for different Karbanas. Rather, we have to say is take out the entire case of cooking. That was not the prohibition that we're dealing with. The prohibition was that you were using wood from an Asherah tree, from a Avodizara tree. And if you use that wood, you get Mukta. And the warning for this is from here. And it says that none of the things which are cheirim, cheirim means things that are not supposed to be used, that are forbidden to you. None of those things should stick to your hand. That teaches us that you cannot derive benefit from these items that were used for Rabbi Dezara. The son of Rabbi says to Abayah, He should also be liable for bringing Eva into his house, an abomination into his house, because he brought the wood of the Asherah tree, of the Abodazara tree into his house. So take out Avara, you can't say Atsi Asherah, that's not going to work, there will be too many, too many violations. Rather, it has to be that you use the wood of Hekdish, the wood that was set aside for the Mizbeach. How do you know it's forbidden to do that? And you should burn their Asherim, the, the Asherim trees shall be burnt, but don't do this to the Hashem Alekechem. In other words, don't use Hashem's wood for your purposes. Whether or not we say the principle of Hail is really of since, right? That since something could be permitted, it should be permitted already. It's really Machlekes Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Shua. Rabbi Lezer says you say Hail. Rabbi Shua says you don't say Hail. Amr Papa, the Dilma Atkan like Amr Rabbi Lezer Hassam, Amin and Hail, Ella de Beinna de Kaili Litanura, Kol Chada Vechada, Chazia lay the Maybe, um, maybe Rebbe Lezer only said his halacha over there, right? In a case, at the time when they go into the oven, 
each one is actually able to be eaten all by itself. Over here, since the only way in which this can be eaten is not you, because you already finished eating your meal. So it's only relevant if there would actually be an ireach, if there'd be a guest coming later on, on Yom Tif, right? So maybe over here it's not permitted. Maybe even Rebbe wouldn't say Hayal. Maybe it's not true. I can't like Amr Bishua. So maybe Bishua only said it is forbidden that we don't say Hayal over there. Why? Because one of these matzahs is not allowed to be eaten. Which matzah is that? That's the matzah that is going to end up being the challah at the end of the day. And it's tamay challah, it can't be eaten. It's not going to be relevant to him and not for guests. Over here, where we're talking about baking on Javas, or I'm sorry, baking on Yom and you already had enough food for yourself. But maybe you'll have guests coming. Maybe even Rabbi Shua could give in over here. Maybe even Rabbi Shua would say, you do say, you do say, since you might have guessed, it is permitted to actually cook past what you need. Amru Rabbanan Kameh Rabbiyamiya Rabzeira. The Chachamim said over this statement from Rami Barachama in front of Rabbiyamiya and Rabzeira. Rabbiyamiya Kibla Rabzeira like Kibla. Rabbiyamiya said, I hear, good Bart. And Rabzeira said, ah, I don't like it. Rabbiyamiya Rabzeira. Rabbiyamiya says to Rabzeira, what's going on here? What's your, what's your ish, right? Milsa the Kashalan, right? The Asya. The Asya Kama Shani. But my pligi, Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yeshua, this is something that you and I have been bothered by for many years. What's going on here? What's the Machlekes of Rabbi Yeshua about? And now they're saying what the Machlechus is really dependent on, and this is what their Machlechus really was. And it was bothering us for years. And they said it in the name of a great rabbi, and you're not accepting it. So he says, How can I accept it? We learned in a Mishnah. According to your words, According to your words, he is, should be in violation of not doing any sort of work. And he was silent back to Rabbi Yeshua. Why didn't he just respond? The reason why I said it's okay is because of Hayal. Right? In other words, Yeshua says, you can't do this because then you're going to be in violation of Loisasa. According to Rev Eliezer, of course you're allowed to do it. It's, it's a Hayal, and therefore you're not in violation of Loisasa. You should not do any work. Amalei says back to him, according to you, that's which we learned in a says, Rebbe says, according to your words, he should then be in violation of Bali Ra or In other words, discussing the case in our Mishnah, where the guy has this uh, dough that has become tame, and he doesn't know what to do, because if he doesn't bake the dough right now, it's going to turn into chametz. But if he bakes the dough um, right now, he's going to be baking on Yom Tif with something that has no real use, because nobody could eat this challah that is literally challah, supposed to go to the kain, but it's tame. Nobody could eat it. So Rabbi Eliezer responds to um, Rabbi Yeshua and says, according to you, you're going to be in violation of by not baking it, you're going to be owning something that you're not allowed to own. But in the Bryce, they didn't respond. Is that to say they didn't really respond? In our Mishnah, Rabbi Yeshua did respond and say, because he doesn't really have ownership, it's not an issue. In other words, what we're trying to say is you cannot bring me a proof from a Bryce that Rabbi Yeshua did not respond to Rabbi Eliezer in the Bryce that therefore he had no response to him. That's not true. In one b'risa, Rebbe Eliezer had no response to Rebbe Yeshua, and in our Mishnah, he did. So there's no proof from a b'risa that it's only a part of the conversation, not the whole conversation. It's not, because he said, because in our Mishnah, he says, this is not the chametz about which the Torah forbids us that, to see in our house, or to find in our house. So he himself was quiet in the b'risa, but in the Mishnah, we have the whole record of what he said. So come here. Maybe he was quiet in the bright, but he answered him in different ways.
Tanya, we learned in the Bible. Rabbi Yomar, Allah is Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer says, Allah is like Rabbi Eliezer. Right, so indeed you have to bake it. Rabbi Yitzchak, Allah is Rabbi Yitzchak says, Allah is like Ben Becerra. Makama Shir Isa, right? How much dough can you be kneading on Yom Tif, on Pesach, and not, and it will not be turned into chametz? Rabbi Shmuel, Benishal, Bechamat, Rekaimer, Bechitin, Kavin. When it's chitin, it's two kav worth of, when it's wheat, two kavs worth of flour. Ubasirin, but for barley, shalashas kavin, even three kavs, and it will not turn into dough. It will not turn into chametz as long as you're kneading it. It's the opposite. The wheat is actually more of a measure and still won't turn into chametz, and the barley less of a measure will turn into chametz. When it comes to wheat, it is three kaven worth of dough that it's not going to turn into uh, if you're kneading it. And when it comes to barley, it's even four kaven that won't turn into dough, into, into chametz. Like cash, it's not a question. When I was talking about the grain that is um, uh, very finely ground grain, and therefore even a lesser amount is not going to turn, I'm sorry. Even a, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, okay, like this. The fine grain will turn into chametz at a smaller measure than the than not fine grain, okay? We see from here that the, the poorer, weaker type of wheat is worse than the better type of wheat. Is, is more worse the poor wheat is more worse than the good wheat, then the poor barley is worse than the good barley. Why? Because the difference between them when it comes to wheat is one third. When it comes to barley, it's one quarter. So we see that the difference is qualitatively in a different level. Amar of Rav, Rav says, The amount uh, that you're supposed to be using on, on uh, Pesach is going to be one kav miluga. Right, name of a place. Lepischa for Pesach, so you should not end up causing it to turn into chametz. Right? Can you imagine doing this on Pesach? Right? We we don't do this on Pesach. Right? We stay far away from any dough product on Pesach. We don't take any chances of baking. Even on Arab Pesach, we most people are careful. There is a mitzvah to actually bake it on Arab Pesach, but then you have to be super stringent to make sure it doesn't turn into chametz. Certainly not on Pesach. Right? And also for challah, this is the smallest measure in which you have to start taking challah off of. Four, five quarters of kamach, right? Uh, which is, and, and a little bit more, that's how much you need to be liable to take uh, liable This is what you're going to say, right? So in other words, one place says five quarters of a kav, and one place says um, this kav from Loik. What's going on over here? You have to say that the kav that we call the kav in Maluga was actually the same measure as five quarters of typical. Our woman, they are accustomed. What they would do is they would bake a kapiza worth of dough at one time on Pesach. What's a kapiza? Three quarters worth of kav. Is your intention over here to be strict and make sure that it doesn't turn into chametz? You're being stringent, but you're ending up being, being lenient, right? It's unintended consequence of being lenient. Because now you're not going to be liable to take challah. In other words, you have a mitzvah of the rice of taking challah. It's only true if you take a certain measure. So you're going to be extra stringent about the chametz issue, right? Beyond what you need to do from the letter of the law. But then you're taking yourself away from the mitzvah of doing challah. Who said that that's a good calculation? They were going according to Rebbe Liazor. Rebbe Liazor, 
what does Rabbi Yasser say? Haroide benes in the sal. If someone takes challah or ovens or, you know, not challah or, you know, the lapas, the tandoori bread, right? He takes it off of the side of the wall of the oven and he sticks it into a basket. Hasal metzarf in the challah. By putting it into one basket altogether, it now is going to render it liable to take the challah. So he says to him, but it was stated about this. That's only true by Babylonian loaves of bread. That they end up, uh, they since they are very thick loaves of bread, when you stick these loaves of bread in the oven, they end up getting touching each other because they're so big. They end up touching each other. And that's why you're allowed to consider one loaf of bread when you're all done. Stick it all together in a basket because they all touch each other. It's closely enough associated that you can take one challah from all of this container. But if you have like a you know, nice little thin uh, baguettes, right, then you're not going to be able to take challah from putting them all together. They not, they're not touching each other. They're not connected enough. It's my love stated about this. Even if they're kachin, you're still allowed to do it. Let's say you have a board, right? A, a baking sheet, right? And it has no rim at all, right? Will it be considered to combine the loaves that you put on top of it or not? Do you need it to actually be within a vessel to be considered combined? You don't have that here. There's no rim. Or do we say, or do you need to say that it's just in the ear space of a clee? So even if it's a flat sheet, they're all in the same ear space of one clee. Maybe that's already enough. Hey, go. Well, another question that we will have to wait for Elio and Abi to decide. Tanya, we learned in advice. A basket combines them. Only if they're baked in the, in the same oven, right? Then they're considered to be combined, even if they're not in, in the basket at the same time. Kikare shall bubble, He takes the most stringent opinion. Only the Kikare shall bubble that they actually are biting into each other will be considered to combine for the sake of uh, obligating you to take challah from one from all of them. Three women can be uh, kneading at bread at the same time. And bake in one bread, one oven at the same time. One, sorry, one after the other. They can all work on dough at the same time, right? But on the same dough, right? Not, not, um, not that they're all kneading at the same time, because then it's going to take too long, because if they're all baking one after the other, and they're all at the same exact stage, then it's going to end up taking too long a time to put the bread into the oven one after the other. But if they're, one of them is starting to put the flour together, one of them is kneading it, one of them is shaping it, then there'll be enough of a break in between each of their parts that'll actually be fine. One of them is baking, one of them is kneading, one of them is shaping, and one of them is baking, then you're good. Give us one second. You can't make any sort of principles over here. Not all women operate in the same way when they're baking. Not all wood, fueled ovens operate in the same way. Not all ovens are the same. And what happens is like this. If you're having issues where it's just sitting there and waiting, then you actually should stick it into cold water and that will arrest the fermentation process. It will, not, it will stop it from turning into chametz. We learned in Baisa. Lasha, he mekatefes. First she kneads it. Then she um, then afterwards she uh, you know makes it into whatever shape she's planning on doing. And then her friend jumps in and does her kneading in the place where she was before. Mekatefes he oifa. After it was mekatefes, right? Then she throws it into the oven. And then her friend steps into the next place of the assembly line and does the mekatefes part, the shaping. And then at that point, the third one starts her kneading. Okay? Once the first one is finished baking, and then they keep on moving around and that each one is never in the same step 
at the same time because that would end up leading to too much of a weight. So there's three different steps of the process. Each one should be ensuring that they're always in a different step and keep on moving along. And they keep on going around in a circle. The entire time that they're busy with the dough. And then what? You know what's going to happen? There won't be any chimits. You can't compare different cases, different women, different breads, different ovens. It doesn't work. Different fuel. doesn't work. I was sitting in front of Rabbi Gamliel and giving a psaki. When we gave this halacha, we're talking about women who are zoriz, women who are very zealous and work or women who don't work so quickly. You're talking about wet wood or dry wood. Dry wood is obviously going to go up a lot faster. A pre-cooled, a preheated oven or not preheated oven? Amalie said to me, I don't know the details. Here's the point. If it's going to be sitting by itself, stick it into cold water. That's all I can tell you. New mission. Seor yisare. The seor, the sourdough starter, needs to be burned. But if someone eats it, they're going to be exempt. Siduk yisare. Siduk, which is dough that already has started to develop cracks on its surface because it's already starting to rise, enough yisare. You have to burn it. But if you eat it, it's considered to be completely chum and stick, and your chayakaris are going to be cut off. Ezeo seor. What is seor? That's the point in time when it looks like the horns of chagavim, of locusts. Okay, so it means like tiny little antenna lines. Siduk, what's siduk? Like cracked dough. That the cracks are already all mixed in together with each other. So many cracks. say whether it is the small cracks or the large cracks, it's already considered to be chametz and yachayev karis. What's seor? Kol she. Something that the top of it has just turned a little bit white. That's already showing that it's in the, starting to get into the next step of the process, but it's not yet in the chametz literal on a derisa level. Like a person who's here is standing up. Right? What is the what type of white is it? The white of someone who's as if he's just seen a ghost. That type of white on the dough that indicates that it's already in this, in, changed into the status of sayer. We learned in a derisa. Is that a sayer? What's a sayer? What is, with advice, the same idea. What's sayer? Anything that's turned white, as white as when a man's here is standing up on edge. Siduk, what's siduk? Crack. Like the horns of a locust, that type of crack. That's when they are lines like the locust horns. Siduk, what's the crackness? The cracks are all mixed up with each other. And in this case, and in both these cases, you're going to be liable to karis for eating it. In our Mishnah, we said, in the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, is that even if it's Seor, you're not allowed to eat it, but if you did, you have to burn it, but if you did, you're not Chayav Karis. Ema, so you're going to have to say this, you have to be very explicit. According to Rameyer's opinion, they're both liable to Karis, even if it's just split, like locust ones. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it's not. Amar Rav Rav says, my time with Rameyer, what's the reason for Rameyer? There's no such thing as having cracks on the surface, that there is not going to be cracks underneath as well that are already started cracking in a crisscross fashion. And when it cracks in a crisscross fashion, that indicates that the chimutz has already taken place. New Mishnah. You guys with me? Okay, awesome. Arba Asr Shechali Shabbos. The 14th of Nisan falls out on Shabbos, right? That's what we're having this year, right? 
Shabbos. You have to get rid of everything before Shabbos, right? Now, what do you mean? You mean you should be burning before Shabbos. You don't do your chametz on Shabbos, right? I guess it's Shabbos, you can't do your chametz then. What do you do? You get rid of everything other than exactly what you're going to end up eating on Shabbos, right? And we eat, we eat the, we eat the shalosh of this early in the morning, right? You eat one meal early, one meal a little bit later, but everything has to be done pretty early. We have to get rid of the chametz. You're not allowed to eat matzah because it's Arab Pesach. We don't eat matzah in Arab Pesach. So how are you going to wash? You have to wash on challah and get rid of it early, but without burning. Come say you could burn it even on the 14th. I not burn it, but you can get rid of it on the 14th. Says that truma you get rid of before Shabbos and chulin regular food you could actually get rid of in its regular time because truma you're not going to be able to get rid of on Shabbos itself by people eating it. Therefore, you should get rid of it before Shabbos. But chulin you might end up eating more, so therefore you should not burn it before Shabbos. Tanya, Yavna. One time, my father, Tzaddik, was spending Shabbos in Yavna. Machal Arba also the Shabbos in the 14th day of Nisan fell out on Shabbos. Uba, Uba Zainin Mimuna. Shal Rebbe Gamliel. And Zainin, the Mimuna, the uh, the agent, the uh, representative of Rebbe Gamliel came. And he says, The time has come to burn the Chametz. And we went after my father and we burnt the Chametz. Once again, not mean that we literally burnt it because you can't burn on Shabbos. It means that you destroyed it. New Mishnah. Great story, right? You talk about thought experiments, Earl. You got one right here. Someone is going to Shech the Karma Pesach, and at the same time, he's also going to circumcise his son, and he's also going to eat a meal of Erosin, right? The, the betrothal feast, the first step of marriage in the house of his father in law. And he remembers he has Chamas in his house. Now he's up the creek. If he can go back and burn the chametz and then come back and do all these mitzvahs, then go back and burn the chametz. If you're not able to, have in mind in your heart, I have nullified my chametz. Now, let's say he's going to save people from non-Jews who are going to kill them. From a, you know, the rivers overflowing. From robbers. From fire. From a landslide. He should be in his heart. And the now, let's say he's going for the sake of setting up an Erev Tchumen, right? And that's only something that's optional. You don't have to do it. It's not the same mitzvah anymore. There's no, there's no option of, of going first and nullifying in your heart. Only option nullifying in your heart is when you're going to do a mitzvah that is a mitzvah uvis, a mitzvah that you're obligated to do, not a mitzvah that you are voluntarily choosing to do. Somebody who's leaving Yerushalayim and has in his hand meat of kachim, meat that has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. And if he leaves Yerushalayim, he's not going to be able to eat it anymore. If he's past Hartsofim, right, we're still able to see the base Hamikdash. Then you should burn it where you're at. But if not, if not, then you're really supposed to go back and burn it in the Bira, which is probably the Harhabayas itself, Temple Mount. Using the wood from the Atse Maracha, the wood that is piled up for the Mizbeach. How far do you have to go? Sorry, not how far, but how much Chametz do you have to have to go back? If for both the, the case of chametz and for the case of a carbon, if you have one kebeya, one egg's worth of the meat, or one egg's worth of chametz, you have to travel back to take care of it. Even with kezayis, you have to travel back. When it comes to the holy meat, if it's one kezayis already, you have to go back. When it comes to chametz, if it is one egg's worth, you have to go back. Someone is going to eat the meal of the marriage in his father-in-law's house, or to go make an um, a to go back right away. Over here it says, even if you're going to eat a sudas erisin, you have to go back to get rid of the chametz. 
it's not a question. When is Rabiuda? When is Rabiuda? The Tanya we learned in Rabiuda. Suda's Eris and Rishos. There's a Machoikis. The meal that you eat after, your, after you write the first stage of marriage is that a mitzvah or just a Rishos, an optional thing? Rabiuda says it's just a Rishos. Rabiuda says it is a mitzvah. So if you hold it's a mitzvah, then you can't go back. But if you hold it's Rishos, then you could go back. So our Mishnah is Rabiuda, is um, mitzvah. And the Brisa says you could go, but you should go back. That is Rabiuda says Rishos. Asha Dhamma of Chizda Machlekas Pesuda Shniya. Now that Reb Chizda says the Machlekas is the, the, the second meal, right? Whether, whether or not the second meal is held to be a mitzvah or just a rishos. Al-Basudu Rishayna Devei Hakal Mitzvah. The first meal, everybody agrees with the mitzvah. Afidu Tema, then you could say even, Havaha Reb Yehuda, both the Mishnah and the Brice are both the opinion of Reb Yehuda. But like Kasha, it's not a question. The one that says you have to go back still, Basudu Rishayna, that's talking about the first meal, right? I'm sorry, the one that says you should not go back is talking about the first meal. First meal you can't go back for. But the one that's talking about the second meal, that that you're already permitted, you should go back and don't worry about the second meal. Go back and get rid of the chametz. Tanya learned in the Bible. I only heard about the Sudas Erison that you, uh, it's a mitzvah. But the Sivlainus meal, the meal that after they exchange gifts, at that meal they also celebrate another meal, that I never heard is a mitzvah. I heard that both of them are only a rishos, but not a mitzvah. Tanya learned in a mitzvah. Any meal that is not a meal that is considered to be a meal of mitzvah, should not be benefiting from it. What's the case? If a daughter of a kayin gets married to a non kayin it's considered to be a non sudas mitzvah. And the daughter of a Tamachacham marrying an Amaaretz. These are not good things. These people should be marrying people who are more appropriate for them. A Baskayan, the daughter of a Kayan who marries an Israelite, it will not be a good, uh, the Zivug, the couple, will not, be, will not be going up properly, right? Which is the bracha that we give that your wedding should be a good, your couple should be a good couple. They should go up properly. We don't think they're going to go up properly. Maihi. What does this mean exactly? Amr al says, Zara What does it mean that it's not going to go properly? Either she'll end up getting divorced, or she'll end up becoming a widow, or they won't have children. Masdi Satana and Abraiz said, Kaibra, not only will that happen, Kaibra, he will bury her, or she'll bury him. Right? That's pretty scary stuff. Or she's going to cause him to become poor. Any is so her. Yidbak bizarre shell Aaron. If you want to become wealthy, marry a Kayan's child. Certainly over there, because you're going to become wealthy. Why? Because you have Tyra over here, Tyra, and you have the Kahuna. You should be, certainly become wealthy. Like Kash, it's not fair. If a Tamachacham marries the daughter of a Kayan, then it will end well. But if an Amaretz marries the daughter of a Kayan, it's going to end badly. 